Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. This is one of those days where we're going to do a lot of different things. There's kind of a lot of different stuff going on. So I've got several different stories that we're going to talk about here today. And I don't want to spend too much time on, I guess, any one thing, because otherwise we won't get it all in. Also, don't forget, we're a few minutes away from a really fun announcement, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. This is a big one. Well, we'll do that with you here coming up in just a moment, so I know you'll be excited about that. But let's begin with this, because I think you're probably kind of excited about this, too. Uh, obviously, Georgia won a thrilling game in the Peach Bowl against Ohio State. It was a moment to celebrate if you're a UGA fan, but uh, there wasn't much time to celebrate that for very long, though, because shortly after that, you had to get ready for the national championship. Georgia went on, won that game against TCU 65-7. to So because of that, you might be led to believe that what happened in Atlanta on New Year's Eve is kind of ancient history here at this point in time. Georgia has moved on to bigger and better things, back to back. Dog national champions go for two and 22. Dogs, of course, got that done. And yet up in Columbus, Ohio, the folks around the Ohio State program Boy, they're still talking about the Peach Bowl. And boy, they're still mad about it. Ah, they're gnashing teeth about this. They are, if you'll allow me to say it this way, they are whining about it. And let me just say this is kind of a lead into all this. I think the Georgia fans are kind of having some fun with this because in a lot of ways, the excuses you hear from coming up north there in uh, Columbus, very, very similar to the excuses you would have heard last year from Nick Saban in Alabama. And maybe one of the absolute sweetest things about the wins that Georgia's getting, the the 15-0 season, the the national championship this year, the national championship last year. Maybe one of the best things about all of this winning is the way that it makes teams that Georgia doesn't really like, coaches that Georgia fans don't really like. All of this winning makes them really sound like losers because Ryan Day, who Jim Harbaugh has famously said, was kind of born on third base. Ryan Day, who's been kind of gifted this position in college football, a man of very little actual tangible accomplishments, you know, all of a sudden he feels like he's a winner because he's the coach at Ohio State, essentially kind of, you know, falling into this job. And yet, no matter how much his position in life, being head coach at Ohio State, no matter how much that might give off the appearance that Day is some sort of winner, All it takes is a loss to a team like Georgia, and Day sounds like any other loser. The same way that last year, Nick Saban, and and Nick Saban, different from Ryan Day, actually has some accomplishments. He actually has a resume that he can point to. He's had some actual success in life. He hasn't just had everything given to him. The way that Day has seemingly just stumbled into uh, the position that he's in in life, and yet after losing to Georgia last year, no matter how much winning Nick Saban had done, once again, all it takes is one loss, and Nick Saban just sounds like any other loser. Injuries this injuries that well in the case of Ohio State it's not the complaint here so much about the uh, injury situation (laughs) it is is the officiating and the belief that Marvin Harrison Jr. who legitimately is a very good player was targeted Uh, and it should have been a targeting call against Javon Bullard late in that game in the end zone of course that call was overturned Georgia fans I think rightly know that to be the correct call there are even plenty of people who don't really consider themselves Georgia fans because let's be honest here like the one thing that I am more than happy to do is say and admit that I am not an objective voice in all this I'm wearing a Georgia sweatshirt here right now uh we don't pretend to be like you know mr objectivity that's not really what our show is about but there are plenty of people who are certainly far more objective than me and even they are saying the call against uh uh you know bullard should not have been targeting that 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 you know Marvin Harrison Jr., yes, he took a big hit in the end zone. Yes, the football was dislodged because of that. And unfortunately for the Buckeyes, Harrison did get hurt on that play. But there are plenty of objective voices who are saying that is not targeting. And yet, um, that does not stop the folks in uh, Ohio State, even on National Signing Day, which I guess, you know, you, you ought to be talking about the future. But yet at Ohio State, they can't seem to give up the past here as of yet. Now, what we typically do not do in situations like this is, We typically don't play the question when we play an audio clip because, honestly, all you care about is the famous person's answer. So we typically try to shorten these clips up and just give you the answer in situations like this. But in this particular case, I want to give you the question here, too, because I think it sometimes the question is a little bit of a window into the media environment around a program. And you hear kind of a very... 
I don't know. I mean, it's like it's almost like the media is winding up there just as much as the uh, as as Ryan Day is of. Oh, why can't we get any answers? <laughs> I think if you listen closely here, I think what you kind of find out is is that Ohio State has gotten plenty of answers about the Peach Bowl and what happened with Javon Bullard and Marvin Harrison Jr. They just don't like the answer, and it hasn't stopped them from whining about all of this. So this was supposed to be a, I guess, a signing day press conference. Yet the subject of the targeting or what Ohio State fans thought should have been targeting on Javon Bullard, it came up. This is funny. Here is Ryan Day fielding a question about that with maybe the idea of a conspiracy theory in the air. Take a listen to this. Don't get in trouble. I've tried to pursue it. You can't get a straight answer from anybody about it. No one will even talk about it. So yeah, I, this I, is the championship of your sport, and there's no transparency. Yeah. Um. I mean, I made a lot of calls after the game. Um, I felt like it was targeting. Um, in the moment, and when things are moving fast and you can't see the replay, it's very hard to see. Um, the hard thing for me is to see and understand that and tell, you know, have our, um, our medical staff let us know that he was knocked unconscious, and that's why we're not going to put him back in the game. Um, yet the, the flag gets picked up for targeting. Uh, I, I spoke with... Um, the officials in the Big Ten and, um, you know, had a great conversation um, with Bill. Uh, I then called at the Pac-12 to find out an explanation there. Um, the explanation that was told to me was that it wasn't forcible enough. I then asked um, to speak with uh, the head of the officials, Steve Shaw. Uh, he explained to me that um, the hit um, didn't go right to Marvin's head, that it was not a force or it wasn't um, a shot right on his head. It was to the shoulder. Um, I completely disagree with that, but but that was the decision that was made, and those are the two explanations I was given. So I think this is actually a really beautiful clip, and Georgia fans have obviously had some fun with this because it's whiny Ryan Day, you know, uh, making a ton of excuses for uh, his particular team's loss in this case. But like you hear, like the reporter, I'm not even sure who the reporter is. He's like, "Why can't we get any answers? Why can't anybody tell us what's going on here?" And then, you know, you've got Ryan Day saying something the same thing of, hey, I've been trying. I've been trying to reach out. I've been trying to get some answers. And then later on, we find out that everyone he's called has told him why it wasn't targeting. The Pac-12 people said what they said. Steve Shaw, the director of officiating uh, across the board here, says that the hit was actually below the shoulders, that, that, that it was not, you know, it was not contact to the head. It was below the shoulders. And that's why it's not targeting. So you've got all these people up in Columbus saying, oh, my gosh, how come we can't get any answers as to why this wasn't targeting? And yet you find out that Ryan Day on the phone all the time trying to get answers. Everybody he calls tells him why it's not targeting. He just doesn't want to hear the answer. So to me, I just think this sets the stage for what Ryan Day is as a coach right now. You know, clearly trying to lean into whatever excuse that he can, willing media accomplices seemingly want to lean into any kind of like possible conspiracy theory of, oh, there's no transparency, <laughs> even though all of the key decision makers here who have some sway over the uh, over the officiating are explaining today at every turn why this wasn't a targeting call. So clearly the folks at Ohio State are still bothered by this. And if you're a Georgia fan, as Kirby Smart said, remember remember what Kirby Smart said in that halftime speech to his team before the Florida game in 2021? You just point to the scoreboard and laugh. That's the only response you need to all this. Just simply point to the scoreboard and laugh because Ryan Day, even though he has stumbled into a good job, one of the really prime jobs in all of college football, and you're going to go back through history, Ohio State's been a winning program. And yet it doesn't take much to turn Ryan Day into just any other loser. And he sounds just like a whiny loser with all of this. So maybe, maybe there's a chance that one day these two teams may meet on the football field again. We know based on the last two years that George is more than capable of getting back to the college football playoff. And George is more than capable of being in that position again in 2023. In fact, we would expect they would. Can we trust Ohio State to make that? Can we trust Ohio State to give Georgia a chance to beat up on them for all of the uh, whining and talking they've done post-Peach Bowl? Well, based on the last two years of games against Michigan, it's not obvious they'll be able to do that. I would dare say, to kind of wrap up this topic, that maybe that's the thing that Day ought to be a little bit more worried about. Uh, You've got a coach in Michigan and Jim Harbaugh who's dying to leave at any turn to go to the NFL. He's interviewed 
for about nine million different NFL jobs, and yet sticking around there in the college game, he is still feeding it to Ryan Day year after year after year. In fact, the the you know the the previous playoff appearance for Day at Ohio State prior to this in 2020 came in a year in which they didn't have to play Michigan. So, uh, kind of gives you all you need to know uh, about all of that here right now. The Day's biggest concern is not what happened in the game against Georgia; it's the fact that he was sort of gifted that playoff spot anyway, and uh, ultimately lost the game once they got there. So, if you're a Georgia fan, take Kirby's advice on this point to the scoreboard and laugh and laugh right in their face the fact that they are still making excuses for what happened to the Peach Bowl I think you ought to think that's uh, pretty funny all right let me shift gears now to something completely different speaking of uh, NFL rumors and things like that uh, the Todd Munkin situation continues to kind of roll on here and you know, you get more and more chatter. Our good buddy Mike Griffith at AstoriaDogNation.com, where he says he's got sources who are saying that Munkin is likely to stay at Georgia. And yet, there isn't any resolution yet officially to whatever has gone on with the Tampa Bay Bucks. We know that Munkin is interviewed in Tampa. We know the situation with the Bucks right now is not a very attractive one. There is no quarterback in place. We don't know that Todd Bowles is the long-term answer there at head coach. This is probably one of the messiest situations in the NFL here right now, and yet it was attractive enough, either because Munkin once lived there, once worked there, or whatever. It was attractive enough that Todd did interview with the Tampa Bay Bucks this week. I believe, if I have this right, some of y'all know the NFL situation better than I do. I believe that Munkin is one of seven men to have interviewed for this Tampa offensive coordinator job thus far. So there are a number of you know guys sort of in the mix here in Tampa. Uh, Munkin is apparently one of them. And while you've got guys like our Mike Griffith here at Dog Nation, who's, I guess, reporting that, that he believes it's more likely than not that maybe Munkin doesn't go on to Tampa, there are at least those who are out there who are saying something a little bit different. You know, sometimes on our show, we just try to make you aware of the chatter that's out there and uh, let you kind of decide for yourself here on this. There's a guy named Chris Mortensen. Mortensen, longtime NFL insider uh, for ESPN, was on a radio station in Atlanta called 680 The Fan here this week and in the midst of that conversation on Todd Munkin's future Mortensen who's got obviously deep ties to the NFL says that he believes that 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 Munkin actually may take the Tampa job this is what Chris Mortensen said this week Atlanta radio station 680 the fan I think people are expecting Todd Munkin to to, to get offered the Buccaneers offensive coordinator's job but if that's going to happen it should happen immediately like soon I don't think Munkin with the Buccaneers is a natural, and I, I, I heard that he interviewed extremely well. So I'll be surprised if the uh, Bulldogs are not replacing the, their offensive coordinator. So Mortensen coming out right there on 680 The Fan saying that he thinks that Munkin's going to take the Tampa job. I guess the one interesting thing to kind of come out of that clip for me and the one question it would raise for me is, is that Mortensen says that he heard that Munkin interviewed very well for that position. But given where Munkin is in his career, the architect of an offense that's won back-to-back college national championships with a very strong chance of winning a third, and given where Tampa is right now, yes, they did win the NFC South, but the worst division in football, no quarterback moving forward. Tom Brady's retired, likely wasn't going to play in Tampa anyway. Uh, Todd Bowles, not exactly, and I, don't, I say this with all due respect because I think that Bowles is a sharp football mind, but I don't know that he's earned lots of uh, admirers based on some of the the decisions in their playoff loss or some of the things that gone on there it's it's not obvious that Todd Bowles is going to be a long-term answer there at head coach so my point in all of this is who is interviewing whom here are the Bucks interviewing Munkin trying to vet him or is Munkin in this conversation trying to interview Tampa and kind of vet them because if you've ever had the job interview you know at the end of the interview the uh the person who's interviewing you always asks are there any questions you have for me well in this particular case you got to imagine this portion of the interview with the Bucks, when it gets to hey what questions do you have for us you would kind of imagine that Munkin would probably have a good number of those questions you know what happens if Bowles does get fired can I be interim head coach uh you know what happens you know with, with the quarterback spot who are you looking at to bring in am I going to be stuck with Kyle Trask uh you know kind of a uh, the former Florida quarterback is that my guy next year and is that the guy I'm going to go try to win games with at the NFL level you've got to imagine that at least it sort of stands to reason. I'm just thinking out loud here, but you got to imagine that whatever conversation is taking place, I would assume is more about Munkin interviewing Tampa about what's actually going on here, more so than Tampa interviewing Munkin about what kind of coach he'd be. Munkin's resume right now is the on field performance of Georgia the last two years. So 
I guess I kind of find myself in a position to say what I've now said two days in a row, and I'll say it for a third consecutive day. Maybe Mortensen's right. I certainly can't say that he's wrong. I don't, I don't have the kind of sourcing that would allow me to be able to do that. So here's what you can conclude. If Munkin, and you've heard me say this now two days in a row, if Munkin takes the Tampa job, that means he really wants to be in the NFL because this may be the worst situation in that league here right now. And he'd be leaving the Georgia scenario, which may be the best overall situation in college football based on what he's paid, based on the success that he's having, based on the projected success he might have uh, upcoming here in, in 2023. He would be leaving the very best college scenario for the very worst NFL scenario here, which the only thing you could conclude from that is that anything in the NFL is better than uh, what he has in college football right now. And maybe that is actually Munkin's thinking. We don't know. But logically, it feels like a little bit of a stretch, I guess. Um, you know, maybe you're on guard here for the idea of some sort of mystery third team popping up into all of this. Or maybe Munkin just really is that intent on either returning to the NFL or going back to a place like Tampa, where I guess he was happy living sometime there in the past. I take Mortensen's word seriously on this, but I don't know this for me as any kind of smoking gun or anything like that. It just seems like there's a lot of opinions out there. But with the future of Todd Munkin sort of holds. This is one of those things that I think could be resolved quickly, and I think it should be resolved quickly. Um, if Munkin knows he's not taking the Tampa job, then I think he probably ought to say so. But if he's in this for the long haul, the longer this goes without either Tampa hiring somebody or, or, or Munkin removing his name from consideration, the more if you're a Georgia fan, you ought to notice that. Sometimes the dog that isn't barking uh, becomes you know worth paying attention to. And the longer this goes without some sort of uh, resolution, the more you might you know kind of take some meaning to that. But You've got reporting at dognation.com from Mike Griffith, who I believe says that he thinks that Munkin's going to stay. You've got a guy here that's connected to the NFL who thinks that Munkin might leave. I honestly don't know how all of this is going to play out, but as a Georgia fan, I'm ready for this story to be about over. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. It is presented by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you join us today. Uh, whether it be 9.45 for our first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that across all of our video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, when the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just really, really happy to have you a part of our program, and we extend a huge thank you to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make this show possible. You know, the show that we do, the fun we get to have, the nice studio we get to sit in, and all of the resources that we're able to use, great staff. I told you yesterday we have, or I told you earlier this week, uh, we've added Kaylee Manziel to our team here. And, you know, to have good folks who are doing great work for us or, you know, great studios, things like that, we could not do that without great sponsors. And I tell you, our friends at Meriwether and Tharp have been with us as long as seemingly anybody. They're as loyal to us as seemingly anybody is. And we are so appreciative of that. And the other thing I appreciate here is, is that if you find yourself in a tough situation, let's say as we begin 2023 here, you find yourself facing the very real possibility of a divorce. I can honestly say, genuinely authentically tell you that your decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp as your divorce attorney and kind of walk with you through that divorce process is going to be one of the best decisions you could ever make. Now, listen, the divorce process is not something that you would probably eagerly embrace. Maybe you've done everything you can do to avoid that. You probably should do that. But if it's a reality, if it's a reality that must be confronted, then having someone to be an ally with you as you confront that, boy, that's just really, really important, especially when it comes to, I mean, the law is kind of complicated, I guess. And, you know, it takes a great lawyer to sometimes understand that. And certainly it takes a really special lawyer to be able to convey how the law can be leveraged for your benefit. But that's what Meriwether and Tharp is all about. So have a free initial consultation with one of their attorneys. They're going to probably bring to mind things for you that you haven't considered yet. And then once you have that conversation, well, you have the information you need then to hire Meriwether and Tharp and to set you up for a successful next season of your life, which I think is a really important part of all of this. So please find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That website, once again, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right, we have a couple things coming up. Terrence Edwards, the former Georgia wide receiver, as per usual here on a Thursday. We'll get to him here in a moment. Also, really fun announcement here there as well that I've been dying to tell you about, and I have now been um, 
I guess, given the green light to do so. So we'll do that here coming up in a moment there as well. Prior to that, let's go around the doghouse here today and recap some of the Georgia stuff from yesterday when it comes to National Signing Day. First of all, the good news. And, you know, I'm going to invite you, especially for those of you who are normally podcast listeners, if you'll go to, like, say, the Dog Nation YouTube page, probably the best way to access this. Jeff Sintel and I did a pretty long conversation, and we'll talk more on tomorrow's show, of course, as we always do. But yesterday, in the immediate aftermath of the five-star cornerback for the class of 2024, Ellis Robinson committing to Georgia, Jeff and I talked a good bit about that there, about why there's a lot to like about Robinson. There's obviously plenty to like. Uh, As I said before, this is a five-star. This is a 2024 class for Georgia, already ranked number one, really building some very, very strong early momentum. This has the look right now of maybe the best class that Kirby's had at Georgia, and I say that knowing full well how good some of these classes have been, but 2024 just creates strong possibilities here for UGA. Uh, you see from the photo, for those of you watching on video, obviously Robinson represents IMG Academy. That's another pipeline that Georgia you know, remains strong with. They've gotten a lot of great players over the years from IMG. Robinson would appear to be the next in line on all of that. Uh, there continues to be a lot to like about Fran Brown, the Georgia cornerbacks coach here who really has the look of a rising star in the coaching ranks. He is paying big dividends for Georgia on the recruiting trail. So this and other issues related to the Robinson thing from yesterday, we talked about that on video yesterday uh, on uh, the Dog Nation channels, including YouTube. So I'll invite you to go check that out. Georgia got some good news there. Georgia, however, did not get the news it was originally hoping for with another Robinson, though, the five-star tight end for the class of 2023, Deuce Robinson. By the time we got to yesterday, in fact, we mostly said this for you on the show, that it certainly seemed you know, very likely that Robinson was going to make no decision whatsoever. Ultimately, yesterday, that's exactly what he did. He did go on ESPN television, though, during their signing day special. Uh, if you go to dognation.com, Connor Riley had a lot of the quotes from Robinson on the TV interview there at dognation.com. Robinson got more into the baseball stuff, which we've obviously talked a lot about, uh, acknowledging the fact that NIL is a factor for him in this here at this moment, as it likely would be for almost any recruit in this particular situation. But ultimately also just kind of saying what had you know, he told Jeff uh, two days ago, what had been kind of out there just the notion that he likely was not going to make any decision whatsoever in fact let me give you this quote from deuce robinson from espn yesterday about why there was no signing there was no official commitment uh robinson saying to be honest it's just a flat it's just flat out we're not sure where we want to go yet it's been a long process it's been a fun process we just don't have a conviction yet when i make my decision i want to be at peace with it i want to be fully convicted i I don't want to go anywhere uh i want to be there i think he means i don't want to just go anywhere he says i I want to be there for three years but uh maybe more so deuce robinson obviously respecting the nature of this decision and it is a weighty one It, it seems like this is either either uga usc or quite possibly mlb with the major league baseball draft as i've told you before I can't help but be a little skeptical about some of the baseball stuff. I mean, I've tried to do a little bit of research into kind of where Deuce would possibly rank when it comes to the baseball draft. I mean, there are a lot of 18-year-old outfielders who are, you know, potential first, second, or third round picks in the in this summer's Major League Baseball draft. You don't really see Robinson's name there. In fact, if you go to MLB.com, they have a listing of the top 100 players for the upcoming Major League uh, draft. Uh, Robinson's not currently on that list, which I, is, I not to suggest that I guess he couldn't play his way into that kind of situation here over the course of the next few months but but as it stands right now Robinson is not really projected to be a very high you know major league baseball draft type guy the kind of person that would command big dollars I'm not an expert on that process I don't know how frequently this stuff changes in the months prior to this maybe in the case of Deuce that is what would happen but it certainly seems like in terms of cashing in even in the short term on nil in the long term nfl it certainly seems like robinson's best chance that is likely with football but obviously the heart wants what it wants and so if robinson wants to pursue the baseball thing then you know certainly he would not be the only guy to try to do the two sport deal but as we've said and he quoted former you know georgia players saying on the show it is just not easy to actually make that happen so ultimately over the course of the next few months you know robinson's obviously going to make his choice listen 
I'm assuming that Georgia remains a pretty big factor in all of this. And I, th- I think there's obviously a chance uh, that Georgia still wins here. I think you got to respect USC as a factor in all of this. And, you know, maybe Robinson does prove me wrong in the baseball thing. Maybe goes on to be the next Aaron Judge. I, I guess anything is a possibility here. But this is one of those names we're probably not quite done talking about uh, just yet. We'll see how all of this kind of falls into place here uh, coming up. But yesterday, the kind of final big name for George with that class of 2023, Deuce Robinson postponed making any decision whatsoever. So uh, Robinson and his unknown status going to be in our life here just a little bit longer. That is around the doghouse here today. We'll get Terrence Edwards coming up in a moment. Prior to that, though, as I told you, I want to make a really, really fun announcement here for a moment. And a lot of you know this, that we are very excited about our big Dog Nation cruise coming up this April, April 24th, 28th. We're going to be with our friends at Royal Caribbean on board Independence of the Seas. Many of you have signed up to be a part of that. And our friends at Kroger heard about the Dog Nation cruise. They're obviously really excited about that. They love being a part of it. Really anything going on here with Dog Nation, Kroger loves being a part of that. In fact, here's what our friends at Kroger have said they want to do. I think this is amazing. They're going to give away basically a trip to the cruise. So what Kroger's going to give away here is a stateroom for up to two people to join us on the Dog Nation cruise here coming up. So this is a one stateroom for two people, also a hotel room in Port Canaveral the night prior to the cruise. That's Sunday, April 23rd. So you'll be in port, ready to sail on that particular Monday. You're going to get a gas card. You're going to get some onboard credits there as well. All of this from our friends here at Kroger. So the entry period starts today. So if you go to dognation.com, you actually see the link. And this is really a a cool thing is that you can actually enter to win right there from dognation.com. The period starts today on February 2nd. It rolls all the way through February 10th. Uh, that's when it concludes on February 10th. So go to dognation.com, just click on the image right there, and you can enter directly for your chance to win from the uh, website. The only thing you need to do here is just simply share your favorite memory from the 2022 season, a national championship year for Georgia. Share your favorite memory of that season. And then from all of our entrants, we're going to randomly select one winner. And as we said, that's going to be, you know, cruise fare for up to two people in that stateroom, uh, hotel room in Port Canaveral the night before, the gas card, the onboard credits, all of that with us there on Independence of the Seas, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. Now, you may be saying, well, I still got some questions on this. So if you go to dognation.com, you can see all the entry rules and all the stuff that goes along with that. And you can also enter for your chance to win right there from the website. So dognation.com, our friends at Kroger are doing a cruise giveaway for the Dog Nation cruise. This is going to be amazing. So much fun. Uh, Good luck to all of you who enter. And uh, we'll see you hopefully on board Independence of the Seas here coming up. So check out dognation.com for more on that. All right, before we're done, interesting news out there related to Georgia's best player, Brock Bowers. If you're a dog fan, I think you might like this. We'll get to that. Uh, Good reporting from Mike Griffith on that uh, particular topic from yesterday. But for now, what's next for Georgia with all of its recruiting stuff and where everything goes from here? Future of Todd Munkin. Let's cover all of that with Terrence Edwards here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to be able to welcome Terrence Edwards here to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Uh, Terrence, one of the names we've been talking about here over the course of the last few days is the five-star tight end Deuce Robinson, way out in Arizona, but you're usually pretty good at watching film on one of these guys and paying attention to them. I, I guess I'm curious, how much of Robinson have you had a chance to see? And just given all the attention that he's gotten, including the, the, the decision not to sign yesterday, how good of a player do you think Robinson could be at the college level? A uh, very good player, and, and after watching his film, uh, he has the, the traits of a, a Kyle Pitts. Uh, he's he's six six two thirty. Um, he can play on the outside. He necessarily doesn't have to be a tight end. And I know people probably want to hear that, but Cal Pitts played wide receiver at early on in his Florida days, and he transitioned to tight end. And I can see the same thing for Deuce Robson. He is a must get. He, he is a a player that is a uh, is just as talented as, as any tight end that we have on our roster. That's including Brock. That's how. Special, I think he is. He's probably not as fast as Brock, but just being able to use his God-given ta- talent, being six-six with a long wingspan, and being able to catch the football, um, he, he's a very talented young man. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And that's something you're you know saying, I think, is important to note that we just see a lot of examples of this. And, you know, thankfully, Georgia has been in a position to win with a lot of these kinds of players where there's kind of a blurring of the lines, it seems, between what is truly a tight end, which you might think of as kind of like an inline tight end connected to the to the to the line of scrimmage, the offensive line. And what a guy like Robinson feels like or what Brock Bowers has sort of felt like or, you know, you know, really a lot of the tight ends that are, that are coming through or have come through Georgia sort of feel like where, you know, the difference between, you know, what this detached tight end and kind of a slot receiver is. I'm not even quite so sure that those lines are completely fully drawn anymore. It seems like, you know, the, the definitions have kind of gotten a little blurred here in some respects, doesn't it? Oh, I think so. Um, you know, even with, with Darnell being as big as he is, uh, Monken and, and that staff did a great job of just moving him around. He They didn't necessarily li- line him up as a detached tight end at the end line of scrimmage, just blocking uh, defensive ends all the time. So he did a great, he does a great job with Brock of putting him in every position on the field. I mean, the guy runs reverses, the guy catch screens. I mean, he does it all. And if I'm a tight end of, of Deuce Elk, then I'm going to see, like, I think. Todd Monson is doing the best job of displaying tight ends abilities and not just down on the line blocking defensive ends. So you've also told us over the years that your first love was probably basketball. You're a very good player, uh, basketball player in high school, and obviously you had aspirations of playing both sports at the college level. And you know, ultimately, we kind of think of you as a, more of a football player. Uh, you went on to have you know greater success there in that sport. You know, Deuce Robbins is also a guy that has a lot of love for baseball. It seems like he's a pretty impressive baseball prospect. Maybe different people might tell you different things in terms of where he actually ranks as far as a baseball prospect but clearly he's got some promise there you can just watch him a little bit and just see that obviously he's got great athleticism that athleticism transfers to their sport but the, the, the point I'm kind of getting to here is what was your process like in saying hey maybe I'm athletic enough to play two sports but at the SEC level at the professional level you went on to a long professional football career being actually just really good at one sport sort of hard enough what was your process like in kind of coming to to realize that for yourself well i i i told every coach that recruited me that i wanted to play basketball at uh my school of choice and that every school agreed that i could play basketball so throughout my recruiting process i also talked to the basketball uh coaches as well so uh i mean this day and age i'm a firm believer that the two sport athletes, uh, there's more out there than the ones that are specialized and I'm just going to focus on one sport. I think it's a great thing to play two sports. Each sport uses different muscles and it uses different thinking. Basketball is totally different from football. Baseball is totally different from basketball. So it makes you use your other abilities and muscles and different thinking. And also, the guys that I've been associated with and read stories about when you specialize in one sport at early age, a lot of times the burnout factor is there. Yeah. Um, in football, if you're not if you're playing football half of the year and then you're playing basketball, you're not being burned out from the from said sport. So I don't agree with anybody, and I would argue with anybody when they say you should focus on one sport. I disagree with that. Look at Patrick Mahomes was a baseball player. Look yeah. at Kyler Murray was a baseball player. Story goes on. Even with the great LeBron James, till, till his junior year of high school, was a football player. So I, I just don't agree with anyone saying when you focus on one sport, you're you're better at no. And if if Duke uh, is a player that picked in the first round, if I'm him, I would tell him I'm going to play baseball until that baseball exhausts itself. We've seen plenty of, of players try the baseball out, it didn't work, and comes back to football at, at sure. a later date. So. Uh, I, I'm a component of plays multiple sports as many sports as possible. When you were coming up, you said you know obviously that's part of your recruiting process. You were talking to the basketball teams, and you were you know clear up with the football teams that you wanted to play basketball too. Did you get the sense that the football coaches were hoping you would change your mind about that? No, not at all. I've never gotten the sense, and and at Georgia we we have had a couple uh, football players that played basketball. It's Fred Gibson as well, Larry yeah. Brown. Uh, we have multiple players that run that run track with me, Cole and Champ. Yeah. Uh, so we we have had multiple guys that participate in multiple sports throughout the time of, of Georgia. And look at Herschel. Herschel did the exact same thing. He he ran track as well. So um, I don't think 
if the, to get the player, you're going to do anything and say anything. That's all coaches. They're a used car salesman. But if, if you're talented enough, there's there's no bone. There was I did not feel at all that Coach Dunning and the crew did not want me to play basketball. Uh, so over the course of the last couple of years, you've been very good at kind of identifying diamonds in the rough from the receiver class that Georgia's brought in that have turned out to be really good players. You're obviously you know very big on that when it comes to Ladd McConkey. McConkey's turned out to be a very good player. This time a year ago, you were also kind of touting Dylan Bell, and I think that Bell showed you some flashes of that during his freshman season. I think that he has a chance to do a whole lot more here in his second year on campus in 2023. So given the fact that you've got a pretty good track record of identifying freshman receivers for Georgia that can play, do you have your eye on anybody from this 2023 class here right now? Terrence, who excites you from the pass catchers that Georgia's brought in now that the 2023 class is kind of officially, well, I, I guess Robinson you know, could still join, but we're getting very close to the 2023 class being completely done. So of the, whether it be tight ends or wide receivers, just guys who kind of catch passes, who, is, who excites you from this group right now? All of them excite me. Uh, I love the speed aspect that Kirby brought to uh, Georgia uh, this year. I like the Tyler Williams kids from Lake and Florida that he brings the, the hike. Uh, I've known Pearson Sperling since he was in the eighth grade. I've trained him since he was in the eighth grade. But I'm going to tell you one that's, that's off the radar that, uh, that I think is going to be really, really good. I've trained him some as well, but Lawson Lucky is, is hmm. one that I'm excited about. Lawson is going to bring an element of the route running that uh, ability, I think it's going to be a little better than anyone we have in the tight end room. And I think Coach Munkin have said that Brock doesn't run great routes. He's just so phenomenal as an athlete. He just get open. He's faster than everyone else. He's just a better player. But just understanding how to completely run routes, Lawson Lucky, man, I, I go back and look at Lawson's senior year. And I've trained Lawson for a long time. He just understands how to set people up. And he's a kind of he, – he's a blocker. Uh, Norcross had him blocking in line, but yeah. he's a willing and tough blocker. But he has fantastic hands, and he is a guy that really understands how to run routes. So I'm really looking to see how Lawson uh, figure in this tight end room. Maybe not this year uh, with, with Brock and Oscar, but in the near future I'm really uh, – ready to see how Lawson progresses yeah you know I only saw him one time this past year but he had a really pretty touchdown in the uh, Corky Hill Classic game that uh, I did with him against uh, Brookwood you know kind of that sort of like almost kind of classic I guess sort of fade route type thing where you just sort of go up and get it like he definitely had the look of a Georgia tight end with the way he brought that football down that day and I think he did really a lot of that throughout his senior season Right, he did. You know, the one thing that's going to be a little different that I, mean, I think Brock has spoiled us for how fast he is, and that's just a anomaly. That's just once in a lifetime generational type talent that Brock is bringing up. Uh, so Lawson is not that straight line fast, but Lawson is a guy that's going to be, when you really focus on his route running ability, how he's going to be able to create separation with his route running. And he's tough and he catches the football at a high rate. So it's, gonna, it's a little different. Then Brock and I don't think you know Brock talent is is generational and uh, I don't know if we'll see that again that speed that size that ability but but Lawson is is a guy that's going to be phenomenal. Percy uh, uh, Pierce is another one that's going to is in the mm -hmm. six 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 seven range which is a former receiver but if you see him now I saw him recently he's two hundred and forty pounds and I think he's probably going to carry two fifty and still possess. His ability, I mean, his hand-eye coordination is, is off the chain as well. So I love the two tight ends that we brought, and if we could get Deuce, that would just be icing on the cake. So you touched on something else a minute ago that I think is really important here too, and it's the sense that I get, and I think you look at a guy that just committed to Georgia the other day, Dwight Phillips, a, a 2024, I guess you'll call him a running back, who I think kind of fits this mold there as well. It seems like to me, Terrence, that Georgia has taken it very seriously to get a little speedier on offense you know Phillips is that kind of guy at running back I think Roderick Robinson may be kind of like that guy at running back maybe a little bit um but certainly Phillips I think fits that mold uh the wide receivers that they've brought in um are I, I would say for their category all you know for, for the most part considered to be kind of an upgrade in the speed category we obviously saw you know how valuable that speed was for Arian Smith and the Peach Bowl it seems like Georgia has 
the best that I can tell, made kind of a concerted effort to get a little faster here. And the recruiting priorities would seem to indicate that to me. Is that the sense that you get as well? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely you could tell that they went for guys that could stretch the field. They went for guys who, for say, could take the top off. Uh, and, and with Phillips, man, I watched this film. Um, I mean, he's he's a guy that that I I talked about last year, uh, this year that we got guys that could go forty to sixty. He could guys that could go eighty yeah. to eighty. Yeah, like he is that fast. Uh, I don't care about he only weighs one hundred and seventy pounds right now. He's not going to be someone that we 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 got Robson for that. We got. Uh, the guys we got bigger backs that when we need to pound it, but he's a guy that's going to be able to once we put all that speed on the outside that he can have a package for him and he's going to be able to take advantage of his God-given talent and that just straight line speed. So I think Kirby has identified what he like on offense and what he understands uh, we need on offense because you just think about it. No matter how great our defense was two years ago, the historic defense. When you still have speed on the outside with Mechie and that crew, you go, you can't stop everybody every game or every possession. They're going to score points. And how do you score points? And it's just speed on the outside. And Georgia identified, identified that. And Kirby and company when they got speed. And that's the name of the game right now. It, it's speed. What do you think is going on in this Todd Munkin situation? Uh, me personally, uh, I, I think it, it's, it's evident and documented that, that if he leaves, I personally think I, I don't know this for a fact. Just my opinion that it's just probably the recruiting aspect of it, um, because just I think George is one of the best jobs he could have. I think George could pay him whatever he wants to be paid. Uh, maybe it's just the recruiting aspect of it that he he wants to get back to the NFL. I person I just don't. I just get the vibe. But I don't think he's leaving. I think he's going to stay. Uh, I just don't see why he's not up for any head coaching job. Yeah. Uh, for what he's done, I can see him leaving for a head coaching job just for an offensive coordinator right now. Even for the NFL, I don't think there's any better job out there right now than the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, it, it could be, we all know, it could be negotiations. It could be, okay, yeah. pay me more money. Yeah. It could be that. Uh, but you, you never know with the interviews. You know, you probably interview with a GM right now or or someone who's an associate GM that gets a gets a GM job and he can hire him as a head coach. A lot of times it's networking. I personally don't believe he's leaving, uh, but if he do, if he does, uh, I just believe in the program. I think yeah. Kirby has hit home run hires, uh, and I think he'll put the best candidate for whoever that candidate is. I like that. It's well said. I believe in the program, that the Georgia program is bigger than any one guy, and obviously I think a lot of Georgia fans certainly hope Munkin stays, but I don't think anyone thinks the Georgia f- program falls apart if he leaves. Terrence, that is a very, very wise statement. Hey, I, I know the bubble work's been going on here. You've been out there training and working with folks. If you want to get better catching the football this time of year, uh, quarterbacks, I guess, even too, because you've got to have somebody to throw that football there as well. It sounds like y- y'all got some great stuff going on. Remind people how they can get in touch with your uh, personal training that's taking place here right now oh you can find me on all social media platforms at terrence edwards wide receiver academy terrence it's so much fun to have you in the show appreciate your time we'll look forward to talking to you again soon hey, hey you know what b i gotta say this for everybody for everybody out there te does not stand for tight end wide receiver academy <laughs> it stands for terrence edwards and i just had someone send me a dm is like for all these years, I just learned yesterday. It was like last week. Te stands for Terrence Edwards. <laughs> Duh, that's why I put Te in capital letters. That's right. It stands for Terrence Edwards, not tight end. Very important. Although you'll take some tight ends, of course, but it, but it's wide uh, receivers, yeah, I, everything I else in between. <laughs> right, right. So it's Terrence Edwards, not tight end. Good stuff, Terrence. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Very important distinction there. Tight ends welcome, but it's not exclusively for tight ends. Uh, the, the Terrence Edwards wide receiver category. You know, on social media, you got to kind of sort of cram these things down so they fit. You only got, what, 15 characters, right? So you got to try to find a way to make it fit. So that's what he does there. Also, I just love, you know, a lot of the people that kind of show up on our show are like this. But, like, Terrence Edwards is like a football guy, right? It's like he's been watching film 
on Dwight Phillips, the 2024 running back commit. You know, Terrence is a wide receivers coach, and you know, it doesn't necessarily have an obvious reason why he'd need to be watching Dwight Phillips' film. You know, it's good while you know, good while before he even gets to Georgia. And yeah, that's just what Terrence does because Terrence loves the game. And I love talking to people who love football because the passion they have for that sport just kind of comes shining through in a situation like that. And hopefully, we create a platform for people like that to be able to talk about the sport they love because. You always get great insight when you hear from people who love the game and have kind of devoted their life to the game and making young players better and, you know, kind of obviously caring about the sport. I just love guys like Terrence Edwards for that very reason. And so that is a really good thing. Something else is a really good thing. Folks already getting signed up and registered for your chance to win a trip on the Dog Nation cruise courtesy of Kroger. And of course, all that does for us is remind us how excited we are about the Dog Nation Cruise coming up April 24th through the 28th on Independence of the Seas, leaving out of Port Canaveral, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. And I think for a lot of people, you hear us talk about some of this kind of stuff, and maybe you know you haven't yet fully acquainted with yourself with what happens on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. So if you've never cruised before or if you've never cruised with Royal, Royal Caribbean before, I think one of the great places to start to kind of learn about what the Royal Caribbean cruise experience is all about is Perfect Day Coco Cay. It is a private island right there in the Bahamas. It is exclusively for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. In other words, you can't go stay in a hotel there. You can't, you know, get there on another cruise ship. This is exclusive for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I've been there many times. I love it. I'm going to be there coming up in a few weeks i am very excited about that be there with all of you there in april i'm excited about that too uh, it is just a great experience and if you really want to kind of have a taste of what makes a royal caribbean cruise vacation so much fun i think examining more about perfect day coco k is, is really a great way to kind of get more acquainted with that because so many of the various cruise itineraries especially the three and the four night uh, cruises, some of the shorter ones that kind of go out of Port Canaveral or go out of one of the ports in Florida. So many of those include that kind of stop off in the Bahamas going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. So a great way to experience all of that. And you obviously hear me talk about it, but talking to someone who's a true expert in all of this, I think that's a really great experience for you there as well. For me, that means Jessica Slater, great travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. She helps me book my Royal Caribbean cruise vacations. Uh, she's booked everybody for the Dog Nation cruise. So this is someone who's got a lot of experience getting you ready for a Royal Caribbean cruise. So you can give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also visit royaldogs.com royaldogs.com for more on that get information on the dog nation cruise or really any royal caribbean cruise uh, that you want to take here in 2023 all right so with all of that said let's kind of get into here some of the stuff from national signing day as of yesterday kind of want to roll through some of this here for a moment i think personally the biggest story yesterday is probably what happened with nicholas harbour Harbor, you know, from the D.C. area, five-star athlete, probably going to play tight end in college, world-class speedster, you know, big enough to play tight end, but like a true, potentially Olympic-level track athlete, and Harbor chose South Carolina, and, you know, listen, I think in a roundabout way, this is one of the biggest recruiting wins that South Carolina has ever had. This kind of goes on along with like a Jordan Birch or a Jadavian Clowney. This is one of the biggest wins that program has ever had. I guess it ends up being a top, what, 20 class for, for the Gamecocks overall. So not a bad class, but Harbor kind of the centerpiece of all of that. Choosing the Gamecocks over Oregon in this case. And at one point in time, Maryland was kind of thought to have an in here. And ultimately, uh, they kind of fall by the wayside. South Carolina ends up winning. Now, I've had a lot of private conversations in recent days, or I should say like the last day, you know, last 24 hours or so, from people who have been kind of asking the question. I think it's a fair question to ask of, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? Because it certainly is not really in – this is – I mean, Oregon had tons of recruiting momentum going back to December. South Carolina probably didn't have quite as much. Gamecocks lost a bunch of guys in the transfer portal. So it's probably not unfair to ask, well, how in the world did Harbor, you know, end up choosing South Carolina? And I think one of the things you take from this is, I think it once again proves that relationships do matter. I believe that Shane Beamer is good at cultivating those relationships. And obviously, you would be left to assume that even though Gamecocks may not be famous for having really big NIL collective the way that some other SEC teams might have, you've got to assume that NIL played some sort of role here because the other schools that he was considering, Maryland, because of the Under Armour money, 
you know, Oregon potentially because of the Nike money, I guess, that those are both kind of NIL type schools. So if, if they won with Harbor, it had to be sort of NIL related somehow, you kind of assume. My point in saying all that is this, is that in the future, I wonder if you might see more examples of what sort of feels like kind of a one-off recruiting win. You know, South Carolina didn't win with a ton of five stars, but they but they swooped in and got Harbor here in February, kind of that one sort of centerpiece of the class, that if you don't have enough money to kind of buy a class across the board, do you have enough NIL money to go all in on one really big name, one really big catch, kind of a one-off that, that, that sort of, you know, random five-star that sort of lands at some kind of seemingly random place. I wonder if we'll see more of that kind of in the future. And, and, and you know, maybe the Harbor is, maybe Harbor here is the start of many more recruiting wins for South Carolina, or it's an example of saying, hey, we need some sort of big name to kind of put on the wall here for our February recruiting efforts. And so that's how ultimately uh, Harbor ends up at South Carolina. But either way, it is a very big win for the Gamecocks. Uh, Alabama does get the number one overall class. Uh, for the class of 2023, one of the better classes, at least based on like the 24-7 ratings that uh, Nick Saban and Alabama have ever had. I told our video audience before the show started. The thing that drives me crazy right now is the way in which the media covers Saban, because there's this desire out there to make everything related to him sort of like Michael Jordan, the last dance of, oh, I took that personally. And everything with Saban becomes a sort of personal vendetta. That's what people wanted to do with the David Pollock thing on the national championship game where Pollock said that Georgia kind of taken over college football. And there was this spin zone on that, that Nick Saban was sitting there and he was just, you know, you know, he was just seething to hear David Pollock say that. Now Nick Saban's going to go get his revenge here in 2022. But as we've said, that's also what this past season was supposed to be there as well. The the 2022 season was supposed to be that and it wasn't uh that you know 2022 was supposed to be revenge for 2021 for all the people who said that alabama had, had slipped a step and all alabama did was slip a step again they, they've slipped even further now that's not to say they won't be a contender here in 2023 but this idea that somehow everything for nick saban's a revenge tour if that's the case he's failing and you know people want to say this about the recruiting class there as well of oh nick saban took it personal when jimbo fisher put the number one class together and nick saban was seething about that and this is just sort of an example of nick saban coming to get his revenge on jimbo fisher who had taken that number one class from him in 2022 y'all alabama always recruits well alabama always has either the top class or near the top this is, isn't anything new for Alabama at all now I would sort of question how they're developing some of these guys because when you go back and look at like say a previous number one class like the one they had the 2021 cycle how many of those guys have actually gone on to be big time contributors for Alabama maybe not as much as they're supposed to so maybe the question in Tuscaloosa right now is not who Nick Saban's getting revenge against but you know how well they're actually developing the guys they bring in but nonetheless uh, Alabama does have the number one class so you give them a, a little bit of credit there for that I thought it was somewhat interesting yesterday when Jaden Rashada, the former Florida sign, signee, allegedly uh, $13 million NIL man, that money all fizzled into nothing. And then Rashada was released from his NIL or NLI, released from his NL. He was, follow me on this if you can. He was released from his NLI, National Letter of Intent, because of NIL, name, image, and likeness. Are you clear on all those acronyms? But uh, in the aftermath of that, speaking of acronyms, it sort of seemed like he might land at TCU uh, and yet ultimately ends up going with first-year coach Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. I believe there's a family tie for Rashada at Arizona State, and maybe that's kind of part of what this is, but kind of an interesting pairing. Offensive-minded young head coach in Dillingham, uh, quarterback of note in Jaden Rashada. Quarterback situation in the uh, Pac-12 is actually pretty interesting right now. Rashada goes there. Speaking of the Pac-12, uh, Deion Sanders, Colorado, did make it official with Kermani McClain. Of course, McLean made headlines back in December when he didn't sign with Miami. It was on the open market. We talked the other day about Nick Saban and the, uh, you know, I guess the the hearsay that Saban had said during a coaching clinic that some defensive back had wanted like $800,000 to come to Alabama, and Nick Saban turned him down because Nick Saban's too good for NIL or whatever story uh, seemed to fit Saban's purposes in the moment. We're left to assume that was likely McLean, so I don't really know how much money McLean is getting for going to Colorado, but uh, Deion Sanders does get a pretty high-profile win on all of that. Let me give you two other things here really quick because I'm going a little bit long. I'm going to tell you, you know what snuck up on me in a very big way? According to the 24-7 Sports Composite, do you know who had the number four recruiting class this year? This completely snuck up on me. Uh, it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma is number four in recruiting, so – Pretty good job by Brent Venables. 
I do think uh, is it Jackson Arnold is that the guy's name the quarterback I do think that he may be one of the more interesting quarterback prospects for this upcoming uh, year maybe more so than Nico at Tennessee maybe more so than um, uh, Arch Manning there at Texas if you notice some of the national recruiting service didn't exactly keep Arch Manning at the uh, number one spot from a player standpoint when it no longer suited their purposes to have him there can't help but notice that but um, but either way both of the teams coming into the SEC did pretty well in recruiting this year. Texas and Oklahoma. Texas was, was three, according to the composite. Oklahoma was four. The Texas thing's not a huge surprise. They've been recruiting well there for a while. The Oklahoma thing kind of snuck up on me a little bit. Uh, top four for Oklahoma is actually pretty good. And the, uh, the, the, the good quarterback there, Arnold, is probably a pretty fun name to maybe just sort of keep in mind as well for a Sooners team that certainly could use some help at the quarterback position. I think that's kind of an interesting scenario there. And then one more deal to give to you here. Speaking of South Carolina, they also announced yesterday that, and, and this is just like a blast from the absolute past, D'Angelo Gibbs, who I always thought was a good player, uh, signed with Georgia in 2017. 2017. Uh, D'Angelo, there can't be a lot of 2017s left in college football anymore there just can't be uh georgia said goodbye to robert beal this year and uh stetson bennett this year that's the last of their 2017s i think and there just can't be even with covid year and all that kind of stuff there can't be a lot of 2017s left uh but d'angelo gibbs who i believe has been at tennessee and i apologize for knowing, i don't really know if he's played there or not uh but he'd been at tennessee i think was actually added as a transfer by south carolina as well so gibbs still out there playing college football uh, what is this seven years six years seven years after he uh, originally signed so um, I mean I'd listen you know to the extent that it doesn't interfere with George's interest I, I wish him well as I said before I thought he was a really good player coming out of high school on both sides of the ball frankly so uh, D'Angelo Gibbs still out there still in the SEC now on his way to South Carolina will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp when I turn our attention back to the Georgia Bulldogs here for a moment and I thought that Mike Griffith had an interesting story yesterday at dognation.com kind of got some attention related to Brock Bowers and I believe I have the information on this correct let me show you this graphic because somebody had shared this on uh, social media here so this is the story as it relates to Brock Bowers this is Mike Griffith one of the more powerful stories that hasn't been shared in the world of NIL are players like Brock Bowers that aren't asking for a collective deal because he'd prefer those opportunities to go to other UGA student athletes. Now, you can read the story at Dog Nation. And so basically the gist of this is, and I hope I'm paraphrasing this correctly, is that Brock Bowers is getting traditional endorsement deals. If you listen to the radio or you'll watch on TV or even probably at dognation.com, maybe some of our uh, ads like you see Brock Bowers as a endorser of commercial products, services, products, whatever else. And so Brock Bowers is getting paid as a tr- like sort of like what the textbook definition of name image likeness was supposed to be. Bowers is seemingly making uh, a good bit of money doing that. And so therefore, according to what Mike has reported there at dognation.com, Bowers is not tapping the collective for that money. Uh, because he's already kind of getting it through a traditional commercial means. And so, therefore, he's leaving the collective money for other Georgia players. It's an interesting story. You can read more from it. Uh, Mike Griffith there had dognation.com. And obviously, this is certainly being you know celebrated as a kind of a team-first move by Bowers. I don't have any reason to dispute that. I think that's really probably true. This is kind of a cool thing uh, that Bowers says, hey, I'm getting my money. I want to make sure my teammates get their money. A lot of folks kind of ask the question of how does NIL impact the locker room culture and the and the cohesiveness of a team. This is seemingly an example of Bowers trying to uh, make sure that stays strong. And I think that's all really cool. And I think it's a story that you ought to read there, dognation.com. And I would also add this to it. And this is one of those things that is just one of those things I can't help but reconsider over and over when it comes to the nil situation i think in the future when it comes to these different kind of uh i guess silos of payments uh the bucket that is the collective which apparently bowers is foregoing and the bucket of the actual true traditional endorsements which bowers is i think pretty well paid with we have got to find a way to get more of the traditional commercial endorsements and we've got to rely less on donations to the collective which is not to say that you know if you're a georgia fan you want to donate to the classic city collective and you know support that 
obviously that's a good thing to do. Clearly, uh, you know, Georgia hopes that you do that. And I, I'm sure that there's, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, good things that come, you know, the way of UGA if it is that you do that. But it has always concerned me a little bit about how renewable that resource is going to prove to be and how sustainable that particular model is going to be. Because for anybody who's ever raised money, for your church, for politics, if you got a nonprofit kind of a charity type thing, it is hard to get big bucks on small donations. It just is. Anybody who's ever been in the fundraising business will tell you it is hard to raise big bucks on small donations. It is far easier to say so-and-so company is going to put Brock Bowers in a commercial and the theory here is, is that if I've got like a, you know, I don't know, whatever type of company, let's say I got a convenience store. If I've got a convenience store, where I sell, you know, fountain drinks and, you know, hot dogs and rollers and things like that. If I pay Brock Bowers $100,000 just to use some sort of money figure, if I pay that money to him to be in my commercials, then I ought to be able to do at least $120,000 worth of business on that. There is, that's what we mean when we say return on investment. Not only do I make money on that, but I actually make back all the money that I paid Bowers. And if I make $120,000 every time that I give a Georgia player $100,000, you know, if, if I'm profiting 20 grand every single time, well, of course, I'd be motivated to do that as much as I possibly could. And I would say that thus far, the people that I talk to sometimes are a little bit more closely connected to the NIL world. Privately, this is something that a lot of those folks are very willing to say is that we, and I don't mean just we, George, I mean we, college football, we have got to find a way to get the actual true commercial endorsers more involved in this. Because if you really do believe that players should be paid and the right way to pay them is through the kind of third-party NIL model, then you've got to find a way for that process to be more sustainable. And rich people getting less rich by giving their money to players is just not the kind of thing that's going to last forever. Uh, eventually, there's just some fatigue when a rich person's asked to become less rich to support the team that, that that he loves. But if it's a commercial endorser, like the kind of stuff that Bowers has been paid by, that's the kind of thing that, that conceivably could just go on and on forever because they're actually getting an ROI for the investment that they make. So when I see stories like this pop up, I can't help but kind of think about that, that in that regard is, in the future, the big question related to NIL is how do you make it more sustainable? This is even true for places like you think about Miami or some of the Texas schools that are supposedly just you know bankrolled by these you know uh, big ego you know rich folks. Even that has a tendency to sort of run out if the uh, if the, <laughs> the immediate returns aren't quite uh, satisfying enough. So the future of NIL to me kind of comes down to. How do you make it more sustainable? And I think that Georgia is also the kind of program that ought to be thinking about things like that there as well. But bottom line, it certainly seems like Brock Bowers has done a very good thing to uh, benefit the program. So obviously, he will be celebrated for that, as I think he probably should be. Speaking of celebrating, let's do that here, too, with our golden shoe. We celebrate all of you who continue to have a really good time with the uh, success that George has enjoyed including our buddy Hayes Calloway, who shares this. He says, look at my three new books. So you got uh, a back-to-back national championship book. You got the uh, commemorative Sports Illustrated deal there. And look at that. You got Glory Glory, the uh, brand new book that I'm thankful to be a part of. I've got the, is it the epilogue? Is that how you say it? The final column, the epilogue. I am the uh, final uh, back page of the uh, Glory Glory book. So I had a good time writing and being a part of that. I'm so, so honored to be included that and really thankful that Hayes has picked that up so we'll give Hayes a golden shoe for that today and we'll remind you that with the Florida Gators there are no books uh, celebrating their exploits because they have nothing to celebrate in 268 days from now it gets even worse that is our Gator Hater countdown because we believe a good Georgia fan is a Gator Hater first and foremost and we'll see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Merriweather and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take your comments here, of course, every single day via Twitter at Dog Nation Daily and online, comment section at dognation.com. I also want to kind of follow this up on something we mentioned during the show about what kind of baseball player Deuce Robinson is. So I mentioned there's like an MLB.com uh, draft preview type thing, and on that list, Robinson's not in the top 100 
But if you look at Baseball America on their list, and I think they have – it's a longer list. But uh, the point is is that um, is that Robinson is ranked 123rd. So that's obviously outside the top three rounds. But, but it's also not nothing either. I mean, to be the 123rd ranked player – um, from Baseball America and their top 200. I mean, you know, that's a pretty significant accomplishment. So just wanted to make sure that I, I kind of followed up on that, that, you know, obviously Robinson is a real baseball player and a real prospect, just given the fact that, you know, he does show up in the Baseball America top 200, not, you know, as a projected first rounder, uh, of course, but someone who, you know, would at least be within, you know, shouting distance of kind of working his way into those first three rounds if he could, you know, uh, convince major league teams of his signability, but also, you know, display the kind of uh, overall ability that would get him drafted there. So I want to kind of follow that up a little bit, just give you a little bit more of an insight into the, uh, into the, the, I guess the baseball prowess of deuce robinson he's the only player from the top 50 that's not signed a letter of intent so he's like the last guy that's kind of left and um obviously he has said that baseball is a factor here and according to baseball america he is number 123 on their list of the top 200 prospects ahead of the major league draft which is not until july so it's kind of weird it's like if 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 he's really serious with the baseball thing you know move in date for the summer arrivals is really prior to that so uh could be an interesting next few months for a robinson a player that i think that george would still very much like to have uh and obviously a guy who's considering all of the options out there and has made it pretty clear just not ready to make a decision and that's why on wednesday he didn't make one so i wanted to follow up with that and then, of course, we will uh, see you back here all tomorrow. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making the podcast cool down possible. You can find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs if your water heater goes out. In many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. You don't want cold showers. That's why you need R.S. Andrews. So find them online, rsandrews.com. Y'all have a great day. We will see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.